This is the Liberty and Law Podcast, where practicing lawyer and legal scholar Jeff Teichert offers unique insight into the relationship between law and liberty in history, politics, and American life. If you have a passion for liberty, you are in the right place. Welcome again, Liberty Lovers, to another edition of the Liberty and Law Podcast. And we're welcoming back a previous guest, Professor Adam Lamparello, who teaches law at Georgia College. And uh, we're going to discuss a different topic today. Last time we discussed uh, Roe versus Wade and the overall um, impact of that ruling as, as a uh, exercise of judicial activism. And so we want to discuss today a, a different constitutional principle that was decided last month uh, in the case of Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And to set the table for that, uh, I would say right up front, all nine justices voted for the result in this case. There were three of the, mo of the more conservative justices, Justice uh, Thomas, Justice Gorsuch, and Justice Alito, that, uh, that voted uh, in favor of a much broader ruling. But but all of the, the justices voted, concurred in the result uh, in this decision. There wasn't a single nay vote. So the, the, the main opinion was written by Chief Justice Roberts, uh, joined by Justice Breyer, Justice Sotomayor, Justice Kagan, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Barrett. Uh, so both judges appointed by uh, liberal Democrats and judges appointed by conservative Republicans were, were together on this. Um, however, uh, Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, and Justice Gorsuch all suggested that this case should have been used as an opportunity to, to overrule Oregon Employment Division versus Smith. And just to give a, a basic um, explanation, the Smith case overturned 40 some odd years of precedent uh, when it was decided, I don't know, do you remember the year, Adam? 1990. 90, yeah, it was, it was uh, right before I went to law school. Uh, and Smith uh, explicitly held that there is not an exception to laws of general applicability for religious practice. And basically saying that just because a law is against your religion, if it's, if it's neutral and generally applicable, uh, you have to curtail your religious practice and comply with the law. And incidentally, that, that opinion was written by Justice Scalia, thought to be very conservative, but the, the conservative wing of the court rejects that ruling uh, at this time, at least the, uh, the three um, that are generally thought of to be the most conservative. Now, 
in in the present case, the Fulton case, um, it it considered a fact pattern where where the city um, uh, believed that um, well, they they had a, a policy suggesting that you they couldn't certify. Um, Catholic social services uh, as an adoption agency because they refused to place children in uh, homes where there was a same-sex partnership. And the city said that violates our civil rights laws uh, because you're supposed to treat people equally based on sexual preference and that, that this um, particular belief of Catholic social services violates that. Now, um, as I said, the nine member court all said that this was on, that, that, that the prohibition or the failure to certify Catholic social services was unconstitutional and a violation of the free exercise clause. And the question is, is how far would they have gone? So Adam, let me ask you, how far would you have gone? Well, I would have resolved the question that was at the heart of this case, which is, does a person or a group's right to be free from discrimination trump another party or person's right to exercise their religion according to their conscience? The court, unfortunately, did not decide that issue. And as Jeff said, just by way of brief background, in Oregon Employment Division versus Smith, the court held that generally applicable laws, laws that apply to everyone, are constitutional, even if they incidentally uh, impact religious practices. And in so holding, the court refused to carve out exemptions for specific religions that alleged that certain behavior might uh, violate their religious beliefs. In response to Smith, Congress enacted the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is that any federal law that substantially burdens religious practices must be justified by a compelling state interest and narrowly tailored to achieve that interest, the strict scrutiny test. Some states adopted analogous state RIFRA laws that held the same. Now, in this case, the court was squarely presented with the issue of whether the city of Philadelphia's generally applicable law prohibiting discrimination against same sex on the basis of sexual orientation required the Catholic social services to provide foster adoption uh, services to same sex couples or put differently, allowed them to not extend the contract to Catholic so social services because of this discrimination. Catholic social services said that violates our religious beliefs. The really sad part about this case is that the court never decided this critical issue about the balance between religious liberty and anti-discrimination protections in the public sphere. Instead, it took the easy way out to get a nine-nothing decision. Uh, in a decision authored by Chief Justice John Roberts, the court held that the actual anti-discrimination law technically wasn't a generally applicable law because it gave the city discretion to carve out exemptions as it saw fit. This decision was terrible because it really did not reflect the true nature of the law, which was generally applicable and didn't confront the question of whether employment division versus Smith should be overruled and religious organizations should be given exemptions that, for laws that violate their religious beliefs. 
We saw the same problem in Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Civil Rights Commission, in which the Supreme Court refused to decide this very issue and instead decided on a on much, much narrower grounds. And this is problematic because the free exercise clause and matters of conscience are so sacrosanct in our constitutional structure and essential to liberty and democracy. So the fact that the Supreme Court didn't decide this case makes it really much ado about nothing. Because what it does is, it all it does is ensure that the law is gonna remain unpredictable. It's gonna remain unstable and we're gonna to continue to question the scope of religious liberty in the public sphere. Yeah, and true enough that that this is a much narrower decision than uh, than at least the three um, concurrences uh, would would like. It, it basically says, as Adam just sort of summarized, that because the commissioner is allowed to have uh, quote sole discretion to determine the ex exceptions to. Uh, to the, the non-discrimination rule that it is not a law of general applicability because there are exceptions. And so I, I would ask you first, Adam, do you believe, number one, that the court's implicitly saying if you allow exceptions uh, at all to a statute, to a non-discrimination statute, that free exercise has to be one of them. And secondly, and that that's mandatory. And secondly, uh, is this likely to come up again? It's absolutely likely to come up because the decision didn't decide anything. And I blame this on Chief Justice John Roberts. Chief Justice Roberts is so dedicated to protecting what he believes is the court's institutional legitimacy and protecting it from what he believes are political decisions that what he ultimately winds up doing is disregarding the law and making decisions that he thinks the public will accept, which inherently has made the Supreme Court both a timid institution and a political one, and Chief Justice Roberts the most political actor. Now, the real question could have been resolved in one of two ways. The first answer would have been, yes, religious organizations deserve exemptions to certain laws that infringe on their religious beliefs. In Employment Division versus Smith, the court held that this exemptions were not appropriate unless a claim of religious infringement was coupled with a violation of another fundamental right, such as in Wisconsin versus Yoder and Pierce versus Society of Sisters, which involved the, uh, the raising of one's children in connection with a, a liberty right. So the court could have said this, we disagree with Smith and we overrule Smith and exemptions are appropriate where a law exacts a substantial burden on religious practices. The second thing it could have done, and this reflects a solution that I proposed in the Florida Law Review, is that it could have took a more nuanced approach that is analogous to the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, which protects against unreasonable searches and seizures. We all know under the Fourth Amendment, when you're in your home, that is a place of utmost privacy and law enforcement officers have to have a warrant and probable cause before conducting a search. But when you're in a car, law enforcement officers only need reasonable suspicion and don't need a warrant to stop you for a traffic violation. And when you're out open in the public, they sometimes don't need any suspicion at all. So the right to privacy changes based on the context. There is an argument to be made that when you're in a church, when you're in a synagogue, when you're in a mosque, you have the highest degree of free exercise rights. But once you give yourself out to the public as a provider of public services, you're 
free exercise rights aren't as significant as they would be in a church or a synagogue or a mosque, for example. Just like they're not under the Fourth Amendment the same as when you're in a vehicle and you only need reasonable suspicion. I'm not advocating for one or the other. What I'm saying is the court should have made a decision because when you make a decision, you bring stability, predictability, and certainty to the law. They did neither, and the law remains in a, in a just a complete constitutional mess. And it's unconstitutional, as I would call purgatory. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in a way, this, um, this decision leaves our First Amendment free exercise jurisprudence in more disarray than it was in before. Uh, Agreed. One thing about the Smith case that, that uh, I think whether you agree with it or not, it, it was relatively clear and the standard was relatively clear. Now, I think the same can be said of the standard in Wisconsin versus Yoder, where you look at uh, generally applicable laws uh, and suggest that if it infringes someone's religious belief, it has to pass strict scrutiny. Could they have analyzed this particular case under strict scrutiny and decided yes. uh, that one or the other interest was paramount? Yes. In addition to the two approaches that I just outlined, what the court could have, and in my opinion should have done, was adopt a very simple test. Whether you're in the private sphere or the public sphere, if a law that is generally applicable substantially burdens the exercise of one's religious beliefs, then it must pass strict scrutiny, which means it must, the government must have a compelling interest in regulating that practice that is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest and the least restrictive means by which to do so. That would strike the proper balance between protecting religious freedom and ensuring against discrimination in uh, the public sphere. And, and the reason is because incidental or minor burdens on religion wouldn't necessarily be unconstitutional, but substantial burdens would. And there's a reason why that should be the case. Religious freedom is a critical, if not the most critical freedom in our society. The right to conduct oneself according to one's own conscience, free from government recrimination or reprisal or compulsion is essential to ensuring that people enjoy liberty and the government's liberty and the government's authority is limited. That should have been the test they, they adopted. That would have brought stability to the law. That would have struck the right balance. Instead, they did nothing and invited more vexatious litigation below, only for the decision to be decided another day, probably five years from now. And I think that's wrong. And I, and I fault the Supreme Court for what ultimately was a, de a decision that I said it was much ado about nothing. Right. I guess my, you know, my personal hope, I'll be very candid, was that they would that they would take this case and they would restore the standard in Wisconsin versus Yoder and, and uh, analyze incidental burdens on religious freedom uh, according to whether it passed strict scrutiny. And, you know, there may be some issues that would be discussed under that where the standard uh, remains the same, but you get different outcomes. Like, for example, if you were in a city where Catholic social services is the only game in town, you may have a more compelling interest than in a city like presumably Philadelphia, where uh, if you are uh, a same-sex couple, you you know you have other options for where to go to adopt children. So uh, you know I think a lot of those those kinds of factors could be balanced and and figured out at the trial level 
but I, I, I think here, I mean, I, I respect in a lot of cases when the Supreme Court says, oh, we only want to decide the case before us. We don't want to reach out and give advisory opinions on other issues. And we make mistakes when we create broad sweeping standards, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I respect that in general. In this case, well, we had a line of cases culminating in Wisconsin versus Yoder. And then we had another line of cases. Uh, well, we had a case, Oregon Employment Division versus Smith, which basically reversed that and said, unless the law is specifically targeting religion uh, for special treatment, special discrimination, if you will, it is not going to be held, the, the government action is not going to be held unconstitutional. I think there's some problematic um, ideas in the middle of that, but having yeah, said I, that, um, I, I would ask you, uh, you mentioned a minute ago that free exercise of religion was one of the most, if not the most important right in a free society because it, it involves the exercise of conscience. So t tell me more about that. Every citizen has the right to believe and practice their beliefs according to the dictates of their conscience. When you let the government regulate how, when, and under what circumstances you do that, citizens become less free. The ability for them to have diverse religious views and practice that religion in a manner consistent with their conscience is indelibly compromised, and that's wrong. And what the Supreme Court has done in its free exercise jurisprudence is really create a constitutional mess. In addition to the cases you cited, in Reynolds versus United States, the court indicated that religious organizations were not necessarily entitled to exemptions from, from you know, laws directed at the general public, similar to an employment division, division versus Smith held. Right. But then you have Wisconsin versus Yoder, in which the court held that, yes, the Amish were permitted to have an exemption from a law requiring children to attend public schools until the age of 16 because their religious beliefs and culture was so central to their practices that, that to, to require them to abide by this law would have, would have compromised their beliefs. So the question then becomes, when you have these conflicting decisions and this uncertainty, what's the standard? We're not asking the court to make a sweeping decision. We're asking the court to create a standard to guide lower courts, litigants, and legislatures. They declined to do so in this case. And as such, the free exercise clause remains a, a source of uncertainty. And that's terrible for religion because we don't know what practices are going to be prohibited, what practices are going to be allowed. When you have instability when it comes to matters of conscience, matters of conscience are inherently compromised. Now, um, when we talk about Smith, I, I don't know if either of us has mentioned this. I don't think so. Uh, Smith involved the Native American church's request that for an exemption to generally applicable drug prohibitions in the state of Oregon. And, and one of the banned substances was peyote, which the Native American church used as, as a, a sacramental rite. And, and, uh, you know, perhaps some of this can be explained by the fact that in the early 90s and late 80s, the war on drugs was was uh, at its peak. 
I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to be a mind reader to know that for sure. But in any case, one aspect of this that bothers me a little bit is my understanding is during prohibition, when, when alcohol was banned under the constitution uh, by constitutional amendment, there was an exemption granted for Catholics to drink sacramental wine, but a smaller anachronistic group without the political power to protect itself uh, did not get the same treatment. And I, I wonder if, you know, if we think about that enough that, that really maybe a big part of, of the First Amendment is allowing or tolerating people with anachronistic views and practices uh, and giving, you know, making sure those people have a place in our society. What is your reaction to that? My reaction is that you're absolutely right and that it's essential that the Constitution protects all groups not simply those with political power. And this brings up a case called Church of Lakumi Babalu I versus City of Hialeah. This involved animal sacrifice. And essentially there was a law in Florida that said that prohibited the sacrificing and mutilation of animals. Well, animal sacrifice was a part of this religious organization's uh, activities uh, pursuant to their worship services. The court held that the, that the law was unconstitutional as applied to the church because it unduly targeted that religious organization through an otherwise generally applicable law. So Church of Lakumi Babylon I is in some ways at odds with Employment Division versus Smith, just as Reynolds versus United States, which held that exemptions are generally not permissible, is at odds with Wisconsin versus Yoder. So you have these conflicting tensions that often result from changing political composition of the court. That's why this case, Fulton versus Philadelphia, was a golden opportunity to bring clarity to the law, establish a standard. Like I said before, the court could have held that laws that substantially burden religious practices are generally unconstitutional unless they satisfy strict scrutiny. Or they could have drawn an analogy to the Fourth Amendment and said, well, when you're offering business services to the public, your free exercise rights are not the same as they are when you're in the private sphere, such as in a church. However, they decided they could have resolved the issue. They didn't, and that's why we're still talking about it, and litigants and citizens around the country are still wondering about the scope of what their free exercise rights are, and that's a problem. Right. What do you think, uh, I mean, we've talked about the practicalities and, and, and the desire, I think, that we have to to create, you know, to have a, a clear legal standard. Um, I heard Judge Frank Easterbrook say, I think yesterday, well, uh, don't go too far is not a rule of law. Um, and, and it seems like a lot of our decisions get into a huge amount of balancing. But what do you think the, the framers of the First Amendment would do with this? What do you think they meant by this? I think that the framers would have strongly believed that religious organizations should have exemptions to generally applicable laws. And I think they would have disagreed with Employment Division versus Smith. I think they would have done so because when you consider the context of the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, the whole point was decentralization. It was designed to limit the government's power 
over the individual citizen's ability to exercise, um, uh, to engage in actions reflecting matters of their conscience. And I think that I think the founders would have said, when a law substantially burdens a religious practice, whether in the public or private sphere, it is unconstitutional. Now the Supreme Court had an opportunity to decide this. They could have decided taken a more nuanced Fourth Amendment-based view, like I like I discussed. The problem is Chief Justice John Roberts. He is afraid to decide any case that he thinks is going to engender a public backlash, which makes every decision he makes a political one, not a legal one. The way to protect the court's institutional legitimacy is through adhering to the Constitution's text. And what Justice Roberts have done, has done is create a very fractured court with Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito on the right, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer on the left, and Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Barrett in the middle. And the decisions will continue to be political, and the very goal that Roberts sought to avoid will be realized. And the real victim of this is the rule of law and people's rights, because we still don't know what the scope of the free exercise right is. And that's wrong, and that's un unacceptable in a society dedicated to constitutional democracy and individual liberty. Right. I want to quote James Madison in the Memorial and Remonstrance. He says, because we hold it for a fundamental and undeniable truth that religion or the duty which we owe to our creator and the manner of discharging it can only be directed by reason and conviction, not by force or violence. The religion then of every man must be left to the conviction and conscience of every man, and it is the right of every man to exercise it as these may dictate. The right is in its nature an unalienable right. It is unalienable because the opinions of men, depending only on the evidence contemplated by their own minds, cannot follow the dictates of other men. It is unalienable also because what is here a right towards men is a duty towards the creator. It is the duty of every man to render to the creator such homage and such only as he believes acceptable to him. This duty is precedent or precedent, meaning proceeding both in order of time and in degree of obligation to the claims of civil society. This is an era where they talked a lot about the social contract. And mm -hmm. Madison is saying, before you enter a social contract, uh, you have to reserve your loyalty to God. Before, and here's how he says that. Be, before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe, meaning God. And if a member of civil society who enters into any subordinate association must always do it with the reservation of his duty to the general authority, the general authority he's talking about is, again, God. So he's saying we always reserve our loyalty to God whenever we subordinate ourselves to any human institution. We maintain, therefore, that in matters of religion, no man's right is abridged by the institution of civil society and that religion is wholly exempt from its cognizance. So I believe you're right. I believe that uh, James Madison, who I believe was the author of the First Amendment, would agree that there is an, accept, an exemption from generally applicable laws uh, where 
that is necessary to preserve the exercise of religious conscience. Now, I don't claim that that's unlimited. For example, if I have a property right in my house, you can't walk in and make my front room your holy shrine and do whatever you want there, because then our rights come into conflict. But uh, that would be, I think, a, an instance of where there is a, a compelling government interest that overrides your your religious practice. Um, anyway, what what is your reaction to that? I, I agree with you. I think that there is a balancing that has to take place, but you can only have a balancing that leads to uh, just results when you have a standard to apply. The court didn't even take the time to create the standard. Now, I think we could cer certainly see that in some instances, exceptions might be justified, others they may not. If I said, for example, my religion permits me to murder uh, my daughter-in-law if she is adulterous, um, that wouldn't work. If, if I said my religion allows me to discriminate against black people, that wouldn't work, okay? But if I said my religion requires me to uh, not have to work on a Saturday because that's my Sabbath day, that would versus Werner. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that a balancing test can be uh, uh, you can balance these interests in a way that protects um, individuals from discrimination and creates a just society while also respecting the core role that religious freedom plays in our democracy and individual liberty. But you have to have a standard first. And my standard would be, does it substantially burden religious practices? And it doesn't seem like the court was willing to even go that far. And going that far enough is an abdication of their obligation to enforce the Constitution and create a standard and reliable rule of law. Yeah, I think the compromise that they appear to have reached in this case um, is to say, well, the law isn't generally applicable uh, in this case, because some exemptions are allowed at the discretion of the commissioner. Therefore, because it's not a law of general ap applicability, it has to pass strict scrutiny and it flunks strict scrutiny. Therefore, uh, you, you know, you get an exception um, for Catholic social services. I, I see the reasoning um, again, where I run into trouble is now laws of general applicability, which the First Amendment doesn't make any distinction about, uh, becomes the standard by which we distinguish different cases. And I, I don't know that that presents a workable uh, no, I don't think it. I don't think it does either. I think what it was was legal gymnastics by Justice John Roberts to get a consensus among the court because he was afraid of a five to four decision or a six to three decision. He did the same thing in National Independent uh, National Federation of Independent Investors versus Sebelius when he upheld Obamacare on the very tedious ground of that it was justified under the taxing power. He's looking for ways to get to results that are not controversial, but he's not deciding the critical question, which means therefore that. Your right to freely exercise your religion, your right to religious liberty is still in doubt in this country. We don't know what the standard is to determine if a law is constitutional or unconstitutional. We don't know the scope of our religious liberty rights. And as such, it's going to continue to be litigated in the lower courts. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be division. And eventually the court's going to have to decide it. But they should have decided it sooner rather than later because clarity, especially in this area, 
is very important to ensuring that we live in a society of citizens, not of philosopher kings. Right. So, so if it was if it was before you, how would you have decided this case? I would have decided that the I would have decided that the law imposes a substantial burden on Catholic social services because it's essentially prohibiting them from doing business in the city of Philadelphia and exercising a core function that is reflective of their fundamental religious beliefs. And I think that that's wrong. That doesn't mean that I would always find that religious organizations are entitled to exemptions from generally applicable laws. In Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission, I would have not held for the baker. I would have said, you have to bake that cake for the same-sex couple, because in my view, the burden is far different in that case. Sure, you have to bake a cake for a same-sex couple, but you're providing services to the public. You're offering services to everyone. And the burden of having to bake a cake that says congratulations to Jim and James is really de minimis. But in the Catholic social services case, the burden is substantial because they essentially can no longer contract with the city at all to provide uh, foster uh, adoption services. So the difference in both cases was the nature and degree of the burden. Now, what if I argue on the, the cake baking case um, <laughs> that I, as a baker, treat my cakes as a work of art. I take pictures of all of them. I keep them in an album. This is my artistic expression, and I shouldn't be forced in my artistic expression because of the First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech or what, whatever. Uh, does that change your analysis, or is, is that still the same calculus that you did before? It changes the analysis. If the basis for the baker's claim is that it infringes upon his First Amendment rights, essentially because the government is compelling the baker to engage in speech and expression with which the baker does not agree, then I think there would be a much stronger claim. But on the issue of religious freedom and the free exercise clause, I think it's different. I don't think there's a free exercise violation there because I think the burden is, is minimal. There could be a free speech violation because it was it's compelling speech. Um, but did the court address either of these issues, Masterpiece Cake Shop versus Colorado Civil Rights Commission? No, because just like in Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, they sidestepped the issue. So we're all sitting here wondering what the heck is the law of the free, uh, for free exercise, one of the most sacrosanct constitutional rights. And the Supreme Court should be ashamed of itself for leaving us in constitutional purgatory over a constitutional liberty that is so fundamental to our democracy and individual liberty. So interesting. And, and, and I do want to point out to our listeners here that the discussion we've just been having does illustrate one of the drawbacks or difficulties presented by the, the former Wisconsin versus Yoder analysis or the strict scrutiny analysis, uh, if you prefer, because ultimately that does put the courts in the position of having to make judgments about what, uh, what is a sincerely held religious belief and how far does it go and how central or important is it to you in your religion. And you know, that might put 
me as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, if I'm a judge in the position of judging, you know, what interpreting Catholic doctrine to determine, okay, how central is uh, adoption uh, in the mission of Catholicism? Is it part of their religious mission? And, and I, as a judge, am going to have to make judgments about that, which may or may not prove to be offensive to the people within that religious community. So I'm not suggesting that I don't believe in, in strict scrutiny. I still think it's the best thing we have uh, for making judgments in these cases. But that is one of the drawbacks that I think it does force the courts to interpret the religious dogma of various people and organizations to determine, is this part of the religion or is it sort of ancillary to it? Like my church at one point ran a gymnasium, which, you know, wasn't necessarily central to our religious mission. Um, there was a, actually a, a case on that uh, at one time where they, they wanted to hire only members of the church to work there. Um, and I think in that case, the court decided to, uh, to defer to the church about its defining its own religious mission. But you can see that that's not going to, you know, that's not going to be allowed to run wild in every case because um, otherwise, you know, it, it becomes the exemption that swallows the rule. So, um, Adam, what, what, uh, where do you think we go from here when it comes to free exercise jurisprudence? I think two things. Number one, I would advocate that the courts, the Supreme Court adopt the substantial burden test that's reflected in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. If a law substantially, a generally applicable law substantially burdens religious practices and beliefs, it's unconstitutional. I wouldn't even go to strict scrutiny. Now, Yes, the substantial burden test will involve some analysis of whether a practice is central to a religious organization, but it won't involve value judgments about it or moral judgments about it. And it won't involve any discussion about whether a religious belief is sincerely held. So I think that you can still do that in a workable manner. I think the court missed an opportunity here. And I think that... Um, the second part of my answer is that it may be time for the state legislatures to follow up on what the federal government has done by adopting analogous RIFRA laws. I know a lot have, but not all of them have. But ultimately, the court has to make a damn decision. And it's got to do it sooner rather than later so that religious liberty can be protected and that we can strike the right balance between religious freedom and freedom against, anti -dis against discrimination. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they had a chance in the you know, the cake baking <laughs> case yeah. that came up, they had a chance in this case. And it seems like they're always creating a very narrowly tailored rule. Uh, and when you add them all up together, it's a jumble of something that isn't based on any coherent standard or principle. Yeah. And that brings me to a point where that about Chief Justice John Roberts, when he was quoted as saying a few years ago, it's not that important that a justice have a coherent judicial philosophy or jurisprudence. It's more important that the justice protects the institutional legitimacy of the court. And that is the worst thing he could have said, because that has led to precisely what we have in the religious liberty context, a jumbled jurisprudence 
and uncertainty in the law. And I think our constitutional rights deserve a little bit better than that. Yeah, I'm reminded of, um, of uh, Chief Justice or of Justice Taney, who decided the Dred Scott case, sort of thinking he was making a statesmanlike decision yeah. that would resolve the race issue and instead, or, you know, the slavery issue, and instead it completely blew it up. And uh, I, I think we have to be really careful looking to the Supreme Court to referee uh, these, you know, these sensitive social issues. Uh, I agree. We, and, and really, we, we almost as a society have come to accept that we have these high priests in black robes that are to go, that are going to tell us what is acceptable and what is normal and what is good, and uh, yeah, and the worst thing, Jeff, is this: when those unelected life tenure justices give themselves the authority to decide issues affecting core constitutional rights, and then, like in Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, they don't do anything; they just leave us hanging, and that's not good for democracy. That's not good for decentralization. It's not good for liberty. And I think the Supreme Court, um, if it's going to maintain its legitimacy, it's going to do it one way. Base your decisions on a reasonable interpretation of the Constitution's text. If you do that, your decisions will always be legitimate. Right. Um, how do you see the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech as relating to one another, if at all? I see them relating to each other because they are the bedrock, the cornerstone of freedom in this country. What a lot of people, I don't think, appreciate is that the beauty of the Constitution really doesn't lie in the Bill of Rights. Any country can have a Bill of Rights. Russia has a Constitution that allows people to have all these purported rights. Now, does it protect those rights? No. What the beauty of the Constitution was in the structural provisions. It was in ensuring that the government had limited power, that lawmaking was from the bottom up, that we had a decentralized regime, a government of limited powers, and a focus on individual liberty. The right to freely express oneself and the right to freely exercise one's religion is the best expression of that liberty and of a protection against overreaching government power and of infringement on the moral, social um, choices of an individual. So speech and religion are probably the most important aspects of the Constitution. So when you leave those in doubt, you leave American constitutional law and American democracy in doubt. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I, I remember hearing Justice Scalia give a speech on this at one point, not, not necessarily on how those two particular freedoms relate but but the bill of rights in general and and i've never forgotten it i i uh, the the more i ponder it the more i believe he was right about this i i thought he was wrong in the way he decided the smith case but uh he he said that the bill of rights uh doesn't define everything that that we hold really dear uh, the, the Bill of Rights doesn't deal, for example, there's nothing in it about the right to get married to anyone, whether of opposite sex, same sex, whatever. You know, there isn't a, a right to um, 
you know, have employment, uh, even though we care a lot about our ability to go and look for a job or, I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of things we care deeply about that are not, I mean, our right to parent our children as we see fit, you know, that's not enumerated in the constitution. And he said, really, the stuff that is enumerated, the rights that are enumerated are the things a dictator would try to take away when he was centralizing power in himself. And I think about this in terms of would a dictator want to take away free speech? Yeah, you bet. Would a yes. dictator want to take away the right to keep and bear arms from the population? Well, yes. I mean, in Cuba, they're, you know, they're the only people that can have weapons is the military. Exactly. But, yeah. You know, would would the would he want to take away trial by jury and due process rights and all that? Well, yeah, because he wants to serve as judge, jury, and executioner, like Saddam Hussein or something. It's much more efficient. Right. To be able to direct to direct the collective force at your enemies. And, you know, go down the list, you, you can make a, a, the same argument for almost everything. Uh, now, Very true. when it comes to the church or to religion, you, you know, you, in our day and age, you might ask, well, is that a little anachronistic, you know, given that the rest of it is all about, uh, you know, protecting the rights that a dictator might try to take away? I suggest that it is included in the First Amendment with the freedom of speech uh, deliberately and, and freedom of the press. Because where did people get most of their, of their news in that time? They, they hung around taverns and shared gossip. They read newspapers and they went to church and got information over the pulpit. And I think in the same way that you might like to have a, a large number of strong independent media outlets with a variety of different opinions in the public square, you might want a wide variety of strong independent churches that all have their own doctrines, that all command the loyalty of their parishioners in a little different way. And you know, that, that they in some sense compete with the state for uh, the loyalty of their parishioners, uh, and which I think is why, you know, Lenin banned, or not banned, but really discouraged religion in, in Soviet Russia. Hmm. What are your thoughts on, on that as re religion as a geopolitical force? Well, I think that in my view, religion is the protection, is essential to protection against government tyranny. And when you allow the government to begin making moral judgments about the validity of particular religions or religious practices, or you give the government too much authority to infringe upon matters of conscience, then you are allowing the government to be higher than God, and you're allowing the government to trample on the rights of the individual. The right to freely exercise matters of conscience, your religious beliefs, is essential to not only ensuring that the government doesn't have too much power, but that the citizen has the ability to be truly free. That's why it's so essential to protect that right. The court is not protecting that right right now. What it's basically saying is, we're going to leave you all in limbo while we, 
nine unelected judges decide at some future time that we deem appropriate what the scope of that right should be. That to me is a little step on the road to a dictatorship and a long step away from democracy. Yeah, I think about, you know, how religion played out over history. And I can't help but think that when Madison drafted the, the free exercise clause and, and the establishment clause, that he was thinking about, uh, for example, the wars in the civil wars in England in the 17th century. Uh, the, the first one is actually called the Puritan Revolution by a lot of people because it was largely a Puritan revolution. Most of the members of parliament were Puritan at that time. And Puritan theology, of course, clashed with uh, what the Stuart monarchs believed about the divine right of kings. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was largely a theological debate and discussion. And if I'm James Madison and I'm dreaming up the constitution for, you know, for all time, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, do I want the crown or the state in whatever context to have its thumb on the church? Do I want it to be able to make the church its propaganda arm? And, or do I want churches to be free to speak out against the government? And, and, and it's happened in this country too, if you think about it, not only in the Revolutionary War era, when a number of uh, Christian ministers spoke out against the crown and, and uh, British policies, but also in the 1960s, Reverend Martin Luther King, you know, spoke out and mm -hmm. had a huge impact, um, changed a lot of the way that we deal with civil rights in our country. I think now a lot of people look at what certain religions are doing and saying, well, that's different from Dr. King because it's, you know, it's bigoted against homosexual uh, individuals. Okay, I, but uh, I don't mean well, I was just going to say, that is exactly the problem. Once we get into the area of government making moral judgments about the beliefs of one or various religious organizations, then we're giving the government the power to trample on religious liberty. Now, let me be very clear. Same-sex couples, same-sex uh, you know, individual, uh, homosexuals are entitled and absolutely deserve equal dignity and liberty under the law and the right to be free from discrimination. Every human being of whatever sexual orientation, uh, background, race, ethnicity, religion is entitled to be treated equally. That's not what this is about. This is about ensuring that the government does not get into the business of making moral and value judgments about what religions um, can be allowed to do what things and what religions are protected under the law and which ones aren't. That is precisely the prescription for an authoritarian government. And that's why religious liberty is so important. It is a check on government power and it is also the predicate to individual liberty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think you're going the same place I am with that, that, yeah. that uh, if the government can get into the business of deciding which religious beliefs are worthy and which are not, uh, then you might as well allow them to pick a state church and create an establishment of religion because exactly that's, that's ultimately where they're going to go. They're going to say this religion 
has norms and practices that we uh, agree with, and this one does not, and and uh, they should be basically relegated to the dark corners, and and so I think yeah, you you have to be religiously neutral. And I've had people ask me, well, what about the Church of Satan? Well, if it, to me, if it qualifies as a religion, then you got to give it protection under the free exercise clause, even if you don't agree with it. I totally agree. I think the foundation of a free society is tolerating the views that we find to be offensive and distasteful. Otherwise, uh, you're giving the government the power to inflict its moral views on society. And I don't want to live in Iran or Iraq. I want to live in the United States where we respect unpopular views because respecting all views means we protect marginalized groups. And that's essential to liberty. Well, in my religion, we were a marginalized group in our early history. And uh, there was an extermination order against us in Missouri. There, there, there was all kinds of persecution. But we also hold the belief that for virtue to be real, we have to be able to choose it. And, right. and so, yeah, I, the fact that I might tolerate the Church of Satan or any other religion that I disagree with doesn't mean I'm going to go join it. Right. Let them attract their own members as they see fit. Let me this, have the same privilege. And, you know, let's figure out how to live together in one country uh, without insisting that other people follow the dictates of, of my conscience. I totally agree. And that's why I think equal liberty is so important to ensuring, you know, true individual liberty for all. And that's what the rule of law has to protect. And that's where the Supreme Court went way wrong when it didn't decide this issue and left us wondering, will the government be able to encroach on our, on our rights? We don't know. They didn't decide it. That was wrong. That was anti-democratic. And the court, next time it gets the opportunity, should remedy this mistake. I, I want to, I guess, sum up what I think is the, where this leaves the standard of, of review in these cases. And I'll give you the final word and, and you can throw in there anything you may have wanted to say that hasn't come up yet. But the court said, Smith, the Smith case, held that laws incidentally burdening religion are ordinarily not subject to strict scrutiny under the free exercise clause so long as they are neutral and generally applicable. And then it held this case falls outside Smith because the city has burdened the religious exercise of CSS through policies that do not meet the requirement of being neutral and generally applicable. And, and so the way that I understand this is you first test any case that comes in under Smith, is it neutrally, neutral or generally applicable? If yes, then the religion gives way to the law. If no, then it must pass strict scrutiny under, uh, you know, Lakumi and the other, um, the other strict scrutiny cases. I think, as you've been saying, that that's a hot mess. 
Um, yeah. that, that's not really, in my view, that's not really a workable standard of review. And it makes the most important distinguishing characteristics of the cases, things that I don't think really would have been relevant to the people who wrote, who wrote the amendment. So anyway, I'll give you the last word, you know, throw in anything else you want to talk about in addition to that. Overturn Employment Division versus Smith. Hold that generally applicable laws are unconstitutional um, in violation of the free exercise clause if they substantially burden religious liberty. Substantial burden being the critical test. Doing so will ensure that religious liberty can be protected, but also will allow um, more minor or incidental burdens uh, that are designed to ensure equal treatment for all people, and that's a good thing. However, the Supreme Court's got to make a decision. The fact that it hasn't means that we are going to be sitting here in constitutional purgatory for the foreseeable future, and that's wrong. A society that is divided, a society that is uncertain, a law that's unpredictable, and a justice system that's unaccountable is exactly what will threaten religious liberty and the liberty of all individuals. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Adam Lamparello, my friend, for coming on here just uh, to let our audience in on it. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of spending some time in New York City with Adam and his lovely girlfriend, Grace, uh, last weekend when we were, uh, when we were in the city uh, meeting up for some other reasons. So uh, appreciate it. was a it. wonderful time, Jeff. You and Kathy were wonderful. Yeah, we, uh, we loved getting together too. So anyway, we appreciate that. We appreciate your views. Fascinating discussion. And I will say to our audience once again, if you love liberty, you're in the right place.